Welcome back to Northway's D-Group Podcast. I am your host, Rodney Mills, and I'm so glad that you stopped by to visit. We're on a quest to apprentice our lives to Jesus. Our mantra is, the aim of our life is to be like Christ. And we're learning what it might look like to love, live, and lead like Him. And what a journey it has been. Over the last few weeks, we've focused intensely on the love dynamic, We've been using a diagram of multiple circles and sort of double eight patterns to try to illustrate Jesus' teaching about love. So you might want to pull that out and look it over as I give a, a quick synopsis before we get to the big idea for the day. That diagram is in the episode in this episode's transcript, so you can download it there if you don't already have a copy. Of course, first of all, you have to remember that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has existed eternally in a state of perfect agape love, the three of them in an unending, ceaseless dance of admiration and sheer delight in one another. The Father so loved the world that he gave us his only Son. Now, you got to get this, the Son invites us into this fellowship of the Trinity to experience the fullness of this selfless love where everyone involved is passionately committed to the well-being of one another. Union and unity, nothing separating or stopping the flow of this love. Forgiveness is offered up as we're turning away from our selfish, non-loving attitudes and conduct. The outcome the Father was after in sending His Son to us is that we might live a life of love, experiencing His love for us, and in turn, we're giving that love away freely and generously. John told us that God's love for us is made perfect or complete in us as we love others the way Jesus loves us. And thus, joy and peace will be experienced even in the face of adversity because of his great love. We have nothing to fear. We don't have to worry about anything. And wrongs will be set right as we truly love others the way he loves us. Compassion will flow from our hearts for those who are wounded and hurting and disoriented. Forgiveness and forbearance become our ongoing responses to even the worst enemies that come against us. This is the vision God has for us. This is life in the kingdom of the heavens, the life we were meant to live. In outline form, you you basically have four commandments listed by Jesus. Of course, it starts with the greatest commandments, love God with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that some had heard the love your neighbor command, but added its counterpart to hate your enemy. But he cleared that up for us and gave us our third love command, love your enemy. Pray for those that persecute you. And then fourthly, during his final address to the disciples in the upper room on the night before his death, he he added his new fourth love command, love one another the way I have loved you. So we have these four great love commands. And then listen to what Jesus would go on to say that night in the upper room about these commands and their connection to our overall relationship with him. He said, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Now, reading it just for what it says, clearly, obedience is the evidence of our love for Jesus. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one that loves me. 
But again, there's this accompanying promise that keeping those commands leads to this deeply loving relationship between us and the Father and Jesus himself. Listen to what he goes on to emphasize. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, this is just beautiful language to me. It's so personal and intimate. And I think it goes right back to that invitation the Father extends to us through Jesus to come and experience that unity and community that the Trinity has experienced from eternity past, a deeply personal connection to this divine source of selfless love and friendship and loyalty and admiration. So let's talk about this idea of making ourselves at home in Jesus and in the love of God. Let's talk about what it means to abide in Him. In John chapter 15, Jesus goes on to introduce another metaphor to show us what he means about this direct connection. He says, very famously, I am the true vine and the Father is the gardener. So Jesus begins painting a picture of what our lives will look like if we remain faithful to his commands. He uses the image of a grapevine with the goal to be a a lush and fruitful garden. Now, you can just picture the way the gardener or the father, the way he walks through the vineyard, carefully shaping each branch to produce maximum fruitfulness. I mean, that's the purpose of the garden, after all, maximum fruitfulness. And remember, the father's goal is that the world might experience his love for them, demonstrated in and through the life and teachings of his son. So Jesus continues this metaphor of the father's desire that the world experience the fruit of his love. And he says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Now again, the goal of the father, this gardener, is to maximize the fruitfulness of the vine. So he's pruning and he's cutting back. And how does he do that? Well, I think the answer is found in in verse 3. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, this is an interesting choice of words, saying that the disciples are already clean, but what he's saying to them is that you're already pruned back by the message that I've spoken. You've got to see the connection here to this previous teaching, obey my commands, my words, and my teachings. In other words, I've taught you about all the life adjustments you need to make. My teachings show you the way to get rid of those things which keep you from living the life you were meant to live those things that ultimately prevent fruitfulness. You're following my commands, so you're already being pruned. You're already clean. But he wants us to really flourish, so so he moves on. In in verse 4, he says, Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Now, this word remain, or as it probably says in your translation, abide, it occurs 11 times in the first 16 verses of John 15. So obviously it is a very important word. In fact, I'd say it's one of the most important words in all of the New Testament to go right alongside our favorites like metanoia for repent or change the way you think, 
agape for selfless, sacrificial love, dikaiosune for kingdom righteousness, and makarios for the blessed life. And right alongside those great words is this little word, this Greek word, meno, M-E-N-O, meno, which means to remain or abide or to stay. And so let me give you just a few key definitions to what that Greek word meant. First of all, it might be related to a place, to stay and not leave, to abide. I mean, think about it. Abide and the word abode have their root in the same word, and abode is somewhere you live. So abide is to stay there. You might remember Jesus said that in his Father's house are many rooms, many mansions as some translations say it, but many rooms, room enough for all of us orphans to be adopted. So perhaps to abide is to make ourselves at home in him. It's like back in chapter 14, verse 23, where Jesus said that he and the Father would come and make their home with us. Similarly, secondly, it can also mean to to continue to be present, to continue to be present. When we think of it this way, it's not so much like a place, such as going to church or another sacred place to experience his presence, though I do think those are powerfully useful in the growing process, but what it actually means is that we practice the presence of Jesus wherever we are. We are really never absent from him, but it is an uninterrupted conscious awareness of him. A third meaning is to stay in relationship. Now, this makes good sense for sure. I mean, maybe you have some people in your life you used to hang out with all the time, and now you hardly ever even think about them. And Jesus is saying to never let that happen with him. Stay with me, abide in relationship with me. And and as we cultivate that relationship with him, fruit should begin to emerge almost automatically. And then one more definition of this word abide, it means to remain as one. Now there's there's a subtle but profound difference happening as we transition through these definitions. I mean, as wonderful as it is to be with Jesus, there's an even deeper level possible. He's telling us to remain in him that there is a a union and unity that can be experienced. And it's like the transition from acquaintance to best of friend, where you know him deeply and intimately. And I've come to describe this simply as divine intimacy. So Jesus is saying that he is the vine, and we as the branches are to remain connected to him. And as we do that, he assures us that we will live fruitful lives, abide in him. This is such an important concept. He also says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain or abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So he says, Abide in me and abide in my love. And then earlier in his ministry, abiding was the subject of another very familiar and famous lesson we studied just a few weeks back related to the disciples' freedom formula. Remember this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So now we have three things in which we need to abide. He says, abide in me, abide in my love, and abide in my word. So abide in me, share in my life, make your home in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in my love. That's his invitation to participate in perfect Trinitarian agape love. 
and abide in my word. Stay faithful to my commands and my teachings. So back to this vine and branches metaphor, we can just imagine how his word or his teachings and his love serve as the very life source flowing into us and through us, yielding the fruit of his spirit. And when I'm in him and he is in me, it's virtually impossible to see where the vine stops and the branch starts. They are in each other. And then his word is in me. His teaching and his truth influences my every decision. And his love abides in me, influencing my my every interaction with others. And without that connection, we wither, we become lifeless, and certainly we're fruitless. And that's not what the Father wants for us all. In fact, the Phillips translation puts verse 6 like this. The man who does not share my life is like a branch that's broken off and withers away. He becomes like the dry sticks that men pick up and use for firewood. You see, staying connected to the vine and abiding in his word and in his love is the key to not ending up as dead, dried up sticks. I mean, I've seen plenty of people like this in the church, and and the truth is, I've even been that way at times. Attending church once a week won't likely do it. That's not abiding. That's just visiting. It's not making your home with him. And the reason many people don't have an ongoing joy and peace and love is that they're trying to get by without staying connected to the vine. Remember, the ultimate goal for the Father, this nurturing gardener, is that we should be a fruitful garden. And Jesus says, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you could do nothing without me. I mean, Jesus takes it so far to say, my Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Fruit is the evidence of a life connected to the vine with his word and his love flowing into you daily. You just can't fake it, at least not for long anyway. Now, what fruit is Jesus actually talking about here? Well, I believe he's talking about the outward evidence of an inner transformation. Paul called it, of course, the fruit of the Spirit that we've talked about already, and he gave examples of it as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And these are probably not all of the fruit, but simply a representation of the kind of Christ-like characteristics that are obvious and plentiful in the life of someone who's abiding in Christ, in his word and in his love. You see, abiding is what brings about automatic responses to life. Abiding is what brings about new automatic responses to life. I mean, we are a hot mess of old habits and instinctive reactions. Metanoia, this this radical transformation of the way we think, is an ongoing process as his word and his love are like an IV connected to our veins, working their healing and corrective processes in our hearts and minds, breaking down the diseases of bitterness and unforgiveness, prejudices and judgmentalisms and, and reactions like anger and contempt. And then this inflow rebuilds our wrong thinking and decision-making into his way of thinking. Disconnect that IV, the transformation stops. So our main task then is to abide to make ourselves at home in him. You see, trying to love or trying to be a patient and kind person, most often that doesn't work. 
not for long anyway, abiding in Christ is where we must put our effort. And then love, joy, peace, and patience and the like, those are the natural result of that effort. You see, the fruit of the Spirit gives a sure sign of a transformed character. When our deepest attitudes and dispositions are those of Jesus, it's because we've learned to let the Spirit foster His life in us. The fruit are the result of the presence of Christ's Spirit in our lives. What brings about our transformation into Christ-likeness is this direct, personal interaction with Christ through the Spirit. The Spirit makes Christ present to us, abiding in us, and draws us toward His likeness. The Holy Spirit is the agent that uses the Word of Jesus and the love of Jesus to transform us to be like Jesus. You see, these last few weeks, we've talked about the importance of loving our neighbors with compassion and loving our enemies with forgiveness and forbearance and loving each other the way Jesus loved us. But the true secret to actually living that way is found right here in Jesus' lesson. Abide in me, because without me, you can do nothing I've asked you to do. And so the big question of the day then, of course, is... How do we abide in Jesus and in his word and in his love? How do we remain in him, making ourselves at home in him? Well, of course, there's really no silver bullet here. There's not a quick fix because it requires intentionality, time, and sacrifice, and and yes, even what some might call work. All the spiritual practices that Jesus and the saints of the ages have used are, are useful in realigning your attentions and your affections. And in our next session, we'll begin our discussion about developing a a rule of life, an ongoing rhythm of spiritual disciplines that you engage to enable you to do what you currently cannot naturally do, like some of the practices we've already incorporated here in our D groups, from the typical practices of prayer and scripture reading to fasting and solitude and silence and even being committed to a life of simplicity. These spiritual practices can be used of the Holy Spirit to infuse the words and the love of Christ into your mind and heart, producing the fruitfulness of a loving character. You may choose to memorize and meditate on Scripture like we've been doing, or you you might even spend the last 10 minutes of the day in gratitude, asking Jesus, how could you be this good? I mean, there's a huge list of possibilities. But please don't misunderstand me. Spiritual practices are not for the purpose of earning salvation, of course. They simply create this ongoing space and time to make your home in Christ, to bask in His overwhelming love, to engraft His Word into your soul, giving access to the Holy Spirit to bring about newer life and bountiful fruit. And again, there's no one perfect formula, but by daily practicing the presence of Jesus, and whatever methods you and the Spirit work out together, you'll find yourself turning your mind and heart towards Jesus throughout your days, speaking with Him, laughing with Him, crying out to Him, and referencing what you've learned from Him for the decisions and choices you make in your everyday traffic patterns of life, as if He is truly that constant companion, influencing your every move and action. I was standing in the ocean one day, And the deeper I went, not only was I in the water, but also the more influence the currents had on my body. I was standing there thinking this. Here I am in this ocean. I'm still fully myself, yet I am fully under its sway. I no longer have full control of myself. Now, I don't know exactly how it plays out, but to be in Christ, to abide in Him 
is to be at all times under his influence, under his sway, like those currents in that ocean. I'm still myself, but more and more it's obvious that it is Christ who lives in me, and in, and in him I live and move and breathe and have my being. And here's the big idea for today. To abide in Jesus is to be constantly in tune with and listening to and responding to his word and his love. Like being in the ocean, you are under the sway of the reality of his presence as you are in Christ. This is divine intimacy. And like you see in the center of that love diagram we've been using the last few weeks, the purest outcome of all this abiding naturally flows into a life of absolute love. Always remember that the truest test for the apprentice of Jesus, whose life pursuit is Christ's likeness, is not how much you know, but how much you love, evidenced in the fruit, such as joy and peace. Patience and kindness and gentleness become automatic, not forced. You'll find yourself more in control of your emotional responses and your carnal impulses. Compassion floods your heart for the broken and wounded and disoriented, and a strange and almost unexplainable thing happens as you come to truly want what's best, even for your enemies. Love rules. Love wins. And ultimately, love, the Father's love for the world, the love demonstrated in the life and teachings of his son Jesus, the love that flows through him as the vine and into those of us who abide in his branches, that love is the fruit God uses to change the world, to redeem the world, and to set things right in the world. Now let's go back to John 15. Let's wrap this up where Jesus ties all this together. Just listen to the master for a few moments. I encourage you, just let these words sink deep into your spirit. Clear your mind and just meditate on God's word. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he hints toward his own demonstration of what that love should look like. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I was always pursuing you, chasing you down. And then he says, I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask and ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. I think it's just incredible that of all the things Jesus could have said that night in the upper room in that last important conversation with his disciples, he didn't go into some deep intellectual doctrinal symposium. He simply reminded them of how they are to live, serve humbly, obey completely, and love extravagantly. Out of the unending life flow of love from the Father, the words of Jesus, and the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. Now I hear the voice of Jesus, friend. Abide in me. Build your life on my words and upon my love. Practice my presence 
and just watch what I'll do through your life of love.